Um, The reading today comes from John chapter 17, verses 6 to 19. And because my eyesight is slowly winning, I'll have to lift this up. It's also on the screens behind me. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have, you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I, sancti- for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Good morning, everyone. I'd love to be sharing with you this morning. Um, we, we've got to hold on to what we've got. doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We've got each other, and that's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot. Who knows the next lyric? Yep, someone was there. We're, we're halfway there, and we're living on a prayer. And Stuart quoted Simon and Garfunkel last week, so I'm raising it by saying, quoting John Bon Jovi. Um, because this is the half. I get tur- turned off for quoting John Bon Jovi. Um, this is the halfway mark of our mini series on prayer. That's the tenuous link. That's it. Um, but seriously, come with me for a moment to John chapter 17. And these words of Jesus, in fact, this prayer of Jesus, um, where Jesus prays for us, for his disciples. And often, you know, I think our focus, when we talk about prayer, when we think about prayer, often our focus is on what we pray, is on how often we pray, the words that we pray. But the biggest comfort I find about prayer is not what you and I might pray to God, but that Jesus prays for us. We might think about the strength of our prayers, the passion of our prayers, the regularity of our prayers, but the biggest truth is that this morning, today, as we go about our lives, Jesus is praying for us. And here at the very end of Jesus' last recorded teaching before his death, we don't just have some instructions from Jesus about what we should do. We have a prayer from Jesus. And through this, we get to see that we're not dependent on our own strength or the strength of our own prayers, 
but the reality that Jesus is praying for us. In Romans, Paul writes this, Christ Jesus, who died and was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's present tense, by the way, which means it's happening now, today, constantly. And while we don't get to hear the majority of Jesus' prayers for us here in John chapter 17, we catch a little glimpse of what Jesus wants to pray and does pray for his disciples. This prayer is about you. How do we know that? Well, later on, contained within the prayer, Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so if you have believed in Jesus through the message passed on by his followers, then this prayer is about you. It's about you. Now, I don't always advocate that this book is always about us, okay? Primarily, this book is a message and a book about God. Sometimes when we read, try to read the Bible, and I do emphasize the try with our five-year-old, I sometimes say to him, who's this book about? And he just says, me. (laughs) And I think he knows now it's a cheeky answer. And I say, oh, it's it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And he says, no, no, it's about you. Well, this part is actually, this part of the Bible, this prayer is actually about you. These words that Jesus prays are about us. And what's the context of the prayer? We'll look at the content in a moment, but what's the context of this prayer? Well, this is one of the final acts of Jesus before the biggest turmoil of his life on earth. And in yet another example of the selfless love of Jesus for his children, his thoughts don't turn inward, but outward. Not the self-preservation, but self-denial. And that should bring us comfort today, that in the turmoil and in the tragedies of our lives, that Jesus is praying for us. We are literally living on a prayer. So that's the context of this prayer. In the greatest turmoil of Jesus' life, he prays for us. But what's the content of it? Well, I want to pick out three things this morning that are contained within the prayer. There might be other things that you might find or the people might say, but for our time together, I want to focus on three things um, of the content of Jesus' prayer. I'll tell you what they are first up, okay? Uh, like a good teacher, apparently. Uh, so th- the three things are our assurance, okay, that we could know, Jesus prays for our assurance that we would know with certainty that we're his. We'll think about how Jesus prays for our and your protection from the enemy as we engage with, with the world around us. And then he prays for our growth as followers of him. So first of all, our assurance. He says this, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I was really struck by this little phrase, they knew with certainty. See, Jesus is praying not for the world in this moment, but for his spiritual children. And his words, that that little phrase, knowing with certainty. See, Jesus wants you and I to know this morning with certainty that we are his. He prays about our assurance of salvation. When I was involved in in our youth ministry here, I can remember a teenager coming to me and telling me that she wasn't sure if she was a Christian anymore. And I was surprised to hear her say that because she trusted in Jesus the year before. I remember that happening and her telling me that. And, And she was committed to the church and she And she told me in the course of this conversation that she still believed in God too. But what she was really meaning was that in the last few weeks, she'd made some really, really bad choices. 
and she felt far from God, and she was wondering if she, that meant that she couldn't be a Christian anymore. Two really important concepts that we believe as Christians, grace and assurance. We need to understand both of these. So grace is the forgiveness of God to his children despite our previous sin, despite what we have done. Grace is offered, freely offered to us. But then assurance is being assured and sure of our status with God, that that is secure despite our present or our future sin. Grace, forgiveness for the past, and assurance, our security is with Christ despite how you and I might live our lives at times. Now, some of that might be hard for for some of us to wrap our heads around because we live in a performance-driven culture, don't we? We have to measure up. It's all about achievement and accomplishment and getting what we deserve. But that is not the way of the cross. The reality of the cross is that Jesus got what he didn't deserve so that we get what we, so that we don't get what we deserve. I'll say that again because I messed it up. The reality of the cross is that Jesus got what he didn't deserve so that we don't get what we deserve. And to quote Rico Tice, he says, by grace I've been saved from the penalty of sin. By grace I am being saved from the power of sin. And by grace I will one day be saved from the presence of sin. Do you see the kind of past, present, and future? Grace and assurance for God's people. No matter who you are today, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how you're living your life in the present, no matter whether it's pleasing God or not, for those who are in Christ, we can know assurance. We can know with certainty. That's what Jesus is wanting for us. He's praying for us that we would know with certainty. If you have trusted in Jesus, then know with certainty that you are his. And in fact, that's what Jesus says in his prayer later on. He says that none have been lost. None have been lost except the one doomed to, destru to destruction. You know, we sing it sometimes, don't we? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And I know that sometimes we can be downbeat in the church about what we're not. You know, we know we feel our sin. We know we don't measure up at times. And by the way, that's healthy to be aware of that. But we should know also that we are his. We should know who we are. And Jesus prays that his disciples would know him believe in him and rest in that as well. We listened to this song at our discipleship community on Wednesday night. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold, but he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Your faith, if you're in Christ this morning, your faith is secure. It is sure, and you can know with certainty. Jesus is praying for our assurance, but he's also praying for our protection. Verse 11, he said this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. See, Jesus is asking God to protect his disciples while they remain in the world after he has gone to heaven. And if Jesus, here's a little newsflash, okay? If Jesus prays for our protection, that means that there is something or someone that we might need to be protected from. 
A few Monday nights ago, I was over at the Hill Tavern speaking at Alpha, and we were considering together how we can resist evil in our lives. I really thanked Joan Blaine for giving me that topic. Um, but, uh, and I shared that for most of my life, I can say that I've never known a time where I didn't believe in God. I didn't, I've never known a time in my life where I haven't believed that God was real. And yet, when I used to hear maybe someone or people talk about the devil or say that the devil was real, for some reason, I had a harder time believing that. But just like we attribute goodness in our world to a loving God, then as we consider the darkness in our world, it also helps us to understand the present work of the devil. And because of that, Jesus is aware of that, by the way, much more than we are. Because of that, Jesus goes on to pray for our protection. So not just our assurance that we would know, but our protection that he would, that we would, that God would protect his people in the world around us. You see, every Christian has a very real enemy, and we need protection from it. And we need to believe in that. We need to understand that. John Mark Comer puts it like this. If you're not sure who John Mark Comer is, by the way, he sponsors most of Stuart's sermons. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he, he puts it like this. Um, I think we read the same books. Okay. Uh, our, our war against the enemies of the soul is not a war of guns and bombs. It's not against other people at all. It's a war on lies. And the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies and they wreak havoc in our souls. I was really struck by that. They wreak havoc in our souls. The, the war that is going on around us is for your soul. We have an enemy. He's real, and Jesus knows we need protection. So what is our strategy? Well, you know, it would be easy to presume that the best strategy for a Christian, if there is an enemy, would be to hide away from that enemy, right? <laughs> There's an enemy out there, we're going to go and hide. To escape from the enemy, to retreat and hide away, then we'd be safe, right? But Jesus goes on to pray something different. He says this, and these are some famous words, often quoted words, my prayer, he said, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am of it. Do you hear that? Jesus is, isn't praying that his disciples would retreat and hide away, but rather he wants his disciples to remain in the world, but be protected in it. So how are we to engage in the world out there as Christians? So one option Christians have today is escape and hide away, build up walls. As Christians, some things out there might challenge us, disturb us, or trouble us, or even annoy us, maybe. And we can be tempted to retreat from the world. We can feel threatened by those who feel differently, to think differently than us. We can fear those whose lifestyles challenge us, and we can refuse to be present in certain places because we're fearful that the sin of other people would contaminate us. We need to stay pure and holy, so we'll escape the world. That's one option Christians have. The, the other extreme is the temptation to embrace the culture around us, where we want to be accepted by others. 
We want to, to be part of culture and we want to blend in and we want to embrace every idea or activity in society as though it were good. And we become so well adjusted to the prevailing culture that we end up becoming like it. We embrace everything. But rather than on one hand escaping culture, on, on the other hand embracing it, Jesus prays for a different approach for his disciples. And it's an approach where Jesus' disciples remain in the world and be fully present in, within it and engage in it. Engage in it with all the challenges that that brings, but also offer a distinctive set of values and attitudes and beliefs as we are present in the world. Not escaping not embracing, but engaging in it. John Stott talked about a double responsibility that Christians have of how we live in the world. One part is that we live and serve and go about our lives in the world, while on the other hand, refusing or avoiding to become contaminated by the values of the world around it. And for us to do that, you'll know as I say those words, that's not easy. So for us to do it, we need a level of protection from the lies, from the temptations, and the darkness that Stuart was talking about a few weeks ago of the enemy. Jesus prays that his followers are not of this world. But he also tells his followers in another part to shine their light before others. Our call is to be present, but also to not conform. To seek its transformation with the hope that others might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I came across this quote last week by a man called George McLeod, who I hadn't heard much about, but he was someone who understood this idea really well because he ministered within the shipyards of Glasgow, which I imagine would be an interesting place. He said this, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim, he writes, that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at a crossroads of politics so cosmopolitan they had to write his title in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek, at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble, because this is where he died, and this is what he died about. And that is where Christ's men ought to be and what church people ought to be about. Not brilliant? Recovering the claim that the cross might be raised again, not just in gatherings like this, but in the center of the marketplace where you and I live our lives from day to day and week to week. You see, this image, and I think I have used this before sometime in Carmoney, but we'll do it again this morning. This image, next image, if that's all right, Simon, is how some people view the church as the red dots huddled together in the corner of a pretty dark world. And we're maybe smaller the number than we used to be. And we're holding on to our light and we're desperately shining our light in the corner of a really, really dark world. We're hunkered down and we're retreating into the corner. And by the way, that's not a wrong way to view church. It's probably how the church looks right now as we gather together. But this next image is another way to view the church. The, the same number of red dots, but this time scattered among a world full of gray. Disciples who are present and remaining in the world, seeking to make a difference and show our distinctiveness. Could the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as a steeple? Well, how's that going to happen? It'll happen tomorrow through ordinary men and women 
children and young people who seek to try to represent Jesus and remain in the world and are fully present within it, but not conforming, not graying out, but also realizing the importance of where they are placed. Tomorrow, many of you will be present as little red dots. I'm imagining you now. 500 little red dots all across Newton Abbey and Belfast and the wider community. How will you seek to live for God whenever you're there? Jesus is praying for you <laughs> as you do it. He's praying for your protection. And last year, I was invited to speak at a conference for military chaplains who serve in ministry within the Royal Air Force. I'll be honest, it's not how I normally spend my, my week. And uh, I landed at Heathrow and I was driven to a location which was the UK Defence Academy where I would spend the next three days and I had to go through, I had to bring loads of, you know, like ID for weeks and, you know, go through all kinds of accreditation and, and get through. And I got through, you know, and on one level, whenever I was in that compound, the UK Defence Academy, I felt so safe. I was surrounded, you know, by well-trained soldiers and uh, there was high-level security. No one else could get in without accreditation and there was barbed wire for miles and it was the UK Defence Academy and I felt so safe. And yet, suddenly, really bizarrely, I suddenly felt like a target because I was now on a location which was home to many high-ranking military personnel and I imagined much classified information, not at my conference, by the way, but just I was, I was around it, you know, I was there. And I had a feeling that perhaps foreign terrorist organizations might be more interested in taking out the Defense Academy than our family residence in Duke. I, I just had a feeling. <laughs> and so I felt like a target, but yet I also felt safe. And that's true for us as we follow Jesus. Do not miss that you are a target, but never forget that you are safe in the protection of God. Not that we're protected, by the way, from all earthly harm. The Bible doesn't promise that. Jesus doesn't promise that. He doesn't even pray for it. But that we are held securely in the hand of God. Your soul is a target, but your soul is safe. Finally, this morning. As well as praying for our assurance and our protection, Jesus also prays thirdly for our growth in him. Although he uses a different word to growth. Um, verse 17, he says this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Technically, I should have just called this our sanctification. Okay, Sanctification is a churchy word. And it's the, the action of becoming more holy. It simply means the process of growing into more spiritual likeness to Jesus. And so Jesus is praying that his followers would grow spiritually and that they would learn to become truly holy through growing in their understanding of his word and knowing his presence too. You know, I think sometimes we, well, often we would talk about celebrating salva salvation it's something we do and should celebrate in the church and for our lives as well. The process of finding forgiveness and freedom in Jesus. But Jesus also prays not just for our salvation, but for our sanctification. He's concerned that we just don't come to him and stop. You know, that's it. One and done, right? We're in. That's not what Jesus prays for. He prays that we would grow in the knowledge, our love, our passion, our understanding, and our likeness to Jesus, could I ask you this morning, 
rhetorical question, of course. How are you growing as a follower of Jesus? Are you paying attention to your growth? Um, our kids recently have had their parent-teacher interviews. Um, it's a common thing that you'll understand. You know, teachers talk about the development of the pupil, and, you know, there'd be something wrong if you walked into a, a kind of interview with a teacher in P6 or P7, and, the, and they got out these kind of reading books with pictures where you lift the flaps and say, you know, it's really good. L last, last year they were, you know, reading a bit of C.S. Lewis, but this year I thought to really push them on. Here's some kind of spot the difference pictures, and they're, they're reading that book. You, you would be troubled by that as a parent because you would say, no, I want them to grow in their knowledge. I want you to push them on as a teacher. You wouldn't be satisfied or you would maybe complain that there was something wrong with the system. So then why is it that we would be satisfied if we're not growing as a Christian? If we're still reading the same stuff that we read when we came to faith 15 or 20 years ago? If we're, if we're not desiring that we grow and developing in our prayer life, on our reading of God's Word, or how we treat others, or in our engagement within the church. Jesus wants us to grow, to become more and more shaped in His likeness. Sanctify them by the truth, He prays. Your Word is truth. See, I believe we need to allow God's Word to shape us, and God's presence to stir us, because the culture out there is too strong for us to simply rely on a one-hour church service a week, or a quick skim of the Bible now and again. How are you growing in your faith? Are you paying attention to your growth? See, just two chapters earlier, Jesus described his father as an attentive gardener who wants to help us to thrive and grow, living our lives apart from this vine without reliance on God will result in our stunted growth. But when we're connected to the vine, he offers us sustenance and God prunes our negative attitudes and our behaviors, and he enables us to bear more fruit. You see, Jesus prays, yes, for our assurance, yes, for our protection, but for your growth. We, we are not to be static. We are to be mobile units who grow. Um, as, as I draw this to a close, uh, some of you will know that last autumn I stepped into a new role with um, some increased levels of responsibility within the wider church. And if I'm honest, it's been a huge learning curve for me. And I've been particularly aware of my need to grow, to, to realize that I, I, I need more. I need to grow. And um, that's kind of on a spiritual level. But to be honest, on a much more superficial and practical level, I just confess this this morning as well, I've suddenly found myself in more formal settings or at the front of meetings giving presentations or speaking, and at times I've just felt really out of place. And after one of these particularly formal meetings, I had a little crisis, a mini crisis, and I came home to Sarah and I told her that I just needed a new wardrobe. Um, because really my t-shirts and jeans and casual shoes weren't cutting it anymore, um, and I was standing out too much. And so Sarah agreed to accompany me to the shops in the new year, and we sought out a jacket. I, I, that's, that's what I needed. I needed a jacket. And so we found one, and uh, it stayed in the cupboard for the first few weeks. And then there came a meeting, and I thought, this is the day. This is the day for the jacket. And so I got it out and um, walked into the room, feeling a little bit kind of nervous, you know, uh, about that. Walked into the room, and someone who knew me quite well in a large room of people shouted from the back, said, hey, Rick, I didn't even know you owned a jacket. <laughs> 
I thought, I didn't, thanks. But I needed a new wardrobe, and it was obvious. And you know, perhaps on a spiritual level, God wants us to get a new wardrobe. Not that I'm encouraging materialism this morning, or to send you to the shops, or because, by the way, God doesn't accept you just the way you are. Um, I'm not saying that. It's a metaphor, just to be clear. Because I think God wants us to grow and constantly grow into a new set of clothes that meet the growth that He wants. He wants to see growth in us, or maybe even the, the, a set of clothes that match the spiritual responsibilities or status that He has given you. And maybe at times we're wandering around in old clothes that we should have grown out of years ago. We sang it last week. In royal robes, I don't deserve. I live to serve your majesty. And you know, as I finish this morning, there's actually three sets of clothes that I thought about. A set of clothes for each of these three categories that you might need to wear. Maybe for your assurance. Maybe if you're struggling with that this morning, maybe some of you need reminded about those royal robes that you get to wear. You need to take on your new set of clothes that you've been given. You know you're undeserving, but in God's grace and with assurance, you embrace those royal robes and you lean into them and you wear them. Or perhaps for some of you this morning who are aware of your need for protection, as you live as a little red dot in the gray tomorrow, maybe you need to pick up a different set of clothes and you need to pick up the armor of God Put on the armor of God to protect you from the enemy and the evil one. Maybe those are your set of clothes that you need to wear this week. Or maybe finally today, if it's your growth that you need to pay attention to, maybe, as I said, maybe you're still wearing clothes that you should have outgrown years ago. And you need to be clothed in the values and the attitudes of Jesus that he wants you to grow into and to match this way of life that he has called you into, to mirror the set of responsibilities that he has given you as a disciple of Jesus, as an ambassador for his kingdom, and as a spiritual parent to others here in this family. What's the new set of clothes that you need? What's the new wardrobe that you need to pick out? The royal robes, the armor of God, or the new clothes that match the values and the attitudes of Jesus in your life. I'd love for you to just reflect on that for a moment as I pray. Um, then we're going to, yeah, come on ahead, guys. And then we're going to sing and respond together in a moment. Let's pray. Your majesty, I come but bow. I lay my all before you now. In royal robes, I don't deserve. But we live to serve your majesty. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your promise of assurance to us for those who are in Christ. We thank you for the grace that you offer 
and the assurance that you bring. And we thank you for your protection for us as we take our place within the world as your ambassadors. Would you help us to live for you as little red dots among the gray tomorrow? For those who are serving you, particularly in environments or places that maybe feel hostile to the message of Jesus, the cause of Christ, we pray for a sense of courage and protection from the evil one. And this morning, Jesus, we pray and ask you to help us to grow, not just in our knowledge of you, but in our likeness to you. Would you show and reveal to us little parts of our lives that we just keep hidden, little pockets of our lives that we continue to try to own. Help us to pick up the values and the attitudes that you bring. Help us to be sanctified in you, to become like you, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.